In today's episode, I spoke with Kristen Wiley about influencer marketing, non-technical entrepreneurship, and marketing yourself. If you don't know Kristen, she's the founder and CEO of Statusphere, which is a software company that helps businesses scale micro-influencer marketing campaigns quickly and efficiently. She's been marketing for nearly 10 years, and she has a really impressive track record as a non-technical entrepreneur, so let's dive right into the episode. If you wouldn't mind just giving a brief overview of kind of what you do work on now in terms of, you know, what you're building, what you're focusing on, that would be very helpful context. I am Kristen, founder CEO of Statusphere. We are scaling micro-influencer marketing for B2C brands. So we have a software platform that allows brands to scale their micro-influencer marketing. And along this path, what are some of the key, I guess, milestones or touch points that have taken you from zero to where you are now? Yeah. So my background has been in the influencer marketing space and the marketing space in general for over 10 years. So I've wanted to be a marketer forever. I was like a little kid that was like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a marketer. <laughs> I didn't want to be a veterinarian or anything else. It's like I wanted to make ads. So I was making ads as my fun. That was like what I did for fun. So little did I know, though, when I graduated, social media would become a thing. And I started a blog when I was in college. So it was a food and baking blog. I did it for fun. My professor told me, start a blog. You'll learn more about marketing than you will in school. Best advice I ever got. <laughs> so learned how to make a website, learned how to do SEO, learned how to get brand deals. And it became a really fun passion project of mine. And it's what led me to get start my career in marketing. So I got a job at a PR agency. They put me in charge of running influencer marketing because they said, great, like you have a blog. You must know how to get bloggers posting about brands. They gave me a budget and kind of the rest is history. So over the eight years, eight, nine years I did that before starting Statusphere, I used tons of different platforms and helped all sorts of B2B, B2C brands with their influencer marketing and their content marketing and ended up just essentially building a solution that I wish I had as a marketer. And that's how Statusphere was born. It's just I couldn't find a platform that would allow me to scale specifically micro-influencer marketing. And so that's what we built. Got it. And when you look back at the journey, before we dive into kind of what you're building now, just, you know, in the in your past, what are some of the key, I guess, lessons or tactics or strategies you've learned in marketing that have had that 10x outcome for you or that have been disproportionately important for your career? Yeah, I feel like the secret sauce of marketing is consistency. Anything like nothing, there's no silver bullet. There's no overnight success. I sold, you know, social media marketing, content marketing, inbound marketing. <laughs> I've done all of those different things for brands. And I think the brands that win and actually get that 10x return are the ones that do invest in something consistently for a long time, learn from what works and what doesn't and optimize. If you just try to do something for a month or two, it's never really worthwhile. And I think it's kind of not worth the investment. So I know that in, in your past as well, you've had to, I'm sure this has come up like every time you've done anything basically, but you've had to market yourself a lot as well, which is kind of different than marketing a company. And one instance of this would be like when you have to pitch investors for funding. So I'm curious how you view, you know, when you're going into a meeting with potential investors and you're trying to raise funds, how do you think about marketing yourself in an effective way? Yeah, I think that, I mean, invest going through the whole investor experience and run, raising VC funding is 
such a different animal than I think anything I thought that I would be doing. But at the root of it, it really is just marketing and sales, really. It's a numbers game. You have to pitch enough of them to find the ones that really resonate with you and you have to treat it like a sales process. And I think that it's sales is also relationships, right? So you're building relationships, you're building those sales. And when you're pitching, it's all about the storytelling and being able to tell the story of where you're heading and making people want to join you, which comes back to it, like branding and marketing. So I think at the end of the day, pitching investors is very similar to marketing and sales. Is it true that you once had to pitch your company to Pitbull? Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing about the investor space is it's really wild who are investors and what weird situations you get into. I've yeah, pitched Pitbull in Miami on a stage in front of thousands of people. I also have gone like horseback riding in Napa with a group of investors. Like I'm almost like, what, what, what is my life? Sometimes I don't really know. And then the other half is just like heads down in like a cave, not seeing any of my friends for weeks. <laughs> so I, it's like a very strange experience. Definitely. Well, so in, in your past, a lot of interesting things there, but now you're building this this company, and I'm curious, talking through, you know, some different things there, what it's like scaling the team right now. So I think, are you up to like 50 people? Is that true? Yeah, we're just um, about what, at 50. What's been that process? Yeah, what's been the process getting from zero to 50? Because it's such a big leap, and I'm sure there are many milestones in between there. Yeah, the process of growing a team is one of the most challenging pieces because you you hit like roadblocks. And every founder I would talk to would tell me this is like, when you get to 10 team members, employees, it's like all of a sudden things break. And then when you get to 20, things break. And then when you get to 50, things break. And it's like each time it doubles, it breaks. And I can verify that up to the point we've gone, it is accurate. It's like you have to like what gets you from A to B doesn't get you from B to C, which doesn't get you from C to D. So that's where I find that those breaking points are. I feel like in terms of building a team, especially we are a remote team, you know, having documentation while also trying to build a culture as well becomes so important. I know I was guilty when I was working at previous jobs, always being like, why do they invest so much in like all this like development stuff or culture stuff. And now you realize like how important it is to have those connections at work and make sure that your employees are, you know, engaged and actually enjoy coming to work. Because that's really why I built Statusphere too, is I never wanted anyone to feel like, oh, I have to go to work. Like you should feel like you, you get to go to work, that you appreciate it, you know? Definitely. A two-parter kind of following off of that. First off, how soon after did you make your first marketing hire? And then the follow-up to that would be, what's, what does the marketing team as a whole look like for your company now? And how did you kind of decide from the ground up which role to bring in at what time? Yeah, I think that it's a little unusual sometimes to have a founder that has a, such a strong marketing background. I know, actually, I feel like I talked to the founder of Marketer Hire, and we had we talked about this together a lot, how we were like, because you have a marketing mindset, you do things different order than I think a lot of other types of founders, right? You invest and you care so much about marketing because that's like what you know. So in the beginning, from day one, I started a blog because as I said in the beginning, blogging is what I knew. I knew SEO and I knew search engine optimization. So day one, before I even started selling, I started writing blog content because I was like, I want to start ranking and I know that this takes time and I know that I need to start now. So before I even started selling, like five, six months before, I started producing blog content so I could start getting my SEO up and then start selling. Then as we, as our team grew, we went into the operations space, operations hires first. So we hired some operations team members. 
And then we made our first marketing hire of our marketing director. And she comes from a digital marketing background as well and had her go through several you know, processes and make sure she understood what kind of my methodology was of building the content engine that we have today. And then she took that over. So now our marketing team is about four or five of people of our about 50 person team. Got it. In, in terms of influencer marketing, if we, if we wouldn't mind the harsh pivot here, when you're looking at who, what types of companies, whether it's B2B or B2C, not necessarily important, but in terms of just the types of companies that actually see success with strategizing for influencer marketing and executing on that as plan, what are those the traits of the companies that really do well with this? So specifically, the influencer marketing we focus on is the micros. So the long tail, more everyday people getting a lot of people posting, right, you know, to move the needle. So getting hundreds of people posting about a product. So the products that we see that work best it's at the root of it, it ha it's a product that actually works and solves a problem. Because if you have a killer product and you do influencer marketing, it just it just snowballs, right? Because that person tells somebody who tells somebody, right? You know, so if you send out a product that really doesn't have product market fit yet, we see that those influencer marketing campaigns fall off a cliff. So I would say like the biggest indicator too of like one of, one of my favorite myths I like to try to squash with brands is they love to come to us and say, I want to run an influencer marketing campaign for this product right here that that actually is really hard to sell and our sales aren't very good on it. So like we need to put extra oomph behind it. So let's send this out to the influencers. And I'm like, first, you need to fix why it's not selling before you send it to the influencers, because if it wasn't selling on those other channels, it's probably not going to sell with influencer marketing. Let's send them your absolute top selling product that you already know, you know, is that key product that pulls people in. And that's going to be the one that performs best for a brand. So the brands that we work for, it's ones that really understand their product market fit and their value drivers and allow people to tell other people about it very easily. Does that also apply to B2B or what are the specific challenges with B2B that you really are like, okay, this is very different. This is what I would recommend for a B2B versus a B2C approach. Yeah, I think B2B is different in terms of the biggest difference is the mediums that you're looking at. Obviously, LinkedIn is a pretty big medium if you're looking for influencers in the space. I think TikTok has been interesting because they are starting to bleed not only B2C, super strong with B2C, but also into B2B with, with some of the different categories that and education that they have. But I think the biggest piece is the content type. So with B2B, you're almost always doing educational content, I find, where B2C gives you more different types of content. You have everything from like unboxing content to entertainment to like more humor to more of those pieces where I find with B2B, over and over again, the content that performs best tends to be just educational content and partnering with influencers on that. Got it. And how do you, what's your framework if you have one or your mindset methodology around attribution for these campaigns? Yeah. So attribution for influencer marketing in general is been a hard nut to crack for, for as long as we've had influencer marketing. And just like with, with all forms of marketing, attribution now and the whole post iOS world where cookies are gone, like it's just getting harder and harder to track. And I think that we all just got so lucky and we're just like fed by the Googles and the metas of the world, all this incredible data for so long that it's kind of like skewed what the real realistically happens in the buyer's journey. People do not just see an ad and buy a product, right? And I think that smart marketers realize that. Smart marketers realize like no one's just seeing an ad and clicking on a product and purchasing it for the very first time. You know, they've seen an ad, they've seen 
maybe even a billboard. They've gone to the website. They've signed up for the newsletter. They saw their friend post about it. Someone DM'd them, you know, like they saw it on an Instagram story. Like there's so many different ways in terms of how the buyer's journey works. So when we look at attribution for influencer marketing, we encourage all of our brands and we tell them to look at it from a holistic level. You want to be able to see like, okay, from when I'm running these influencer campaigns, how is it impacting my whole funnel? And there's a bunch of studies that show if you have more than three marketing channels, it increases your ad efficiency like by like 20 or 30%. So you want to have multiple ad channels working to bring down your overall customer acquisition cost. But I think one of the most dangerous things that you can do is try to put all of your eggs in one basket and also track all of your attribution in one way. So if you are only looking, for example, at your Facebook ads, you don't know if they're actually being impacted by the other stuff that you're doing nowadays. So you need to make sure that you're looking at that holistic approach. So in terms of attribution, like from influencer content, I tell people to look at everything they're doing and look for overall lifts in you know direct traffic to your website. So that a lot of times Google searches of your brand name will go up because the buyer's journey is to watch the TikTok, open Safari, and then search your brand name. So that's like another way. Are there certain product pages that are getting way more traffic than they usually do? And you happen that they correlate to the same products that you're running, right? Those are all ways you can do it. Then if you want to get into the nitty gritty, like, I need to attribute sales. You can actually take the influencer content and run ads on Meta. So you can use the UGC on TikTok and on Meta ads. And then when you use that content, it actually performs statistically performs higher than if you were to produce studio content. So that's another way that you can really get that attribution data is by using it in actual ads as well. And that's what we recommend with our brands too, to get the most ROI out of the influencer campaigns. Following up on that, when you're strategizing with clients, do you think through at all, like, how can I make recommendations to the rest of the funnel so that it makes it more likely that our influencer campaigns can ping around a bunch of different channels, but it's all actually contextual to each other instead of just hoping that, you know, if you have an influencer campaign going out about X product and hoping that there's other content on different channels that exist, do you think through what other content should exist and help create that? Or is that not part of your offering? Our offering is we're a software platform that platform that allows you to really easily scale micro-influencers posting about your brand and creating a brief that they can all follow and creating helping them through the whole process, right? So that's what we do and what what we help with. We do recommend that we work with like a brand's performance team, their performance marketer, their social media marketer to all have access to that data so that they can use it to the best of its potential. So they can have multiple seats on our platform so that they can download the content to use it for website. Like you want to put it on your landing pages on your website to increase conversions, put it in your email newsletter, put repost on social media. So ours is really that hub, that like content hub of all the influencer content. So all the different pieces of the marketing funnel and all of the different marketing positions can utilize that content to really maximize their ROI. If you were the company going through using your own software, which I'm sure you've done much, you know, very many times, but I'm just curious how you would set yourself up to make sure that you're going to get quality influencer content on the other side of this. Like what can you do in your briefs or whatever leading up to that to actually make sure you're going to get great stuff? Yeah. So there's two types of brands. There's brands that have done influencer marketing a ton and they come to work with us and they know exactly what works and what doesn't. And they're able to really clearly put that in their brief. And then we're able to scale that for them. So that's option one, but it's a little bit more rare because it is so hard to run influencer marketing at scale. Option two is people who have seen some of good results, but they're still trying to learn and they're still trying to optimize. And our platform allows brands to 
actually create, you know, create a campaign, run it and see which types of content and which types of creators are performing best for them. And then we can find more creators like those over time and optimize. So my biggest advice for brands using our platform is, especially if you haven't done a ton of influencer marketing or have a ton of data on it, to go really broad first with your creative brief and let the creators do their thing. Like let them play with the product, create all sorts of weird content. You might love some of it. You might be, oh, that's interesting, you know, but the more creative freedom you give them, the more you'll get to see what works and what doesn't. And then you can take those learnings. Menor platform helps you do this. You can take those learnings and then apply it to optimize your campaign over time to get the best results that you're looking for. Whether you're optimizing for reach, you're optimizing for just content quality, we can help brands do each of those things. Got it. Understood. So I want to look at the pros and cons of like the current state of influencer marketing, because there's obviously things that are working, things that aren't working and things that need to be changed. Focusing more on the positive first, we'll get to the cons in, in a minute. What are the maybe two, three things that whether it's tactics, strategies, specific things you're doing within influencer marketing that are just totally working right now that you'd recommend that brands double down on? Yeah. So I think one of the things that brands, one of the biggest opportunities for brands in the social media space and in the influencer marketing space is optimizing for social SEO. So just like we have SEO for Google, now you have search engine optimization for platforms like TikTok and Instagram. And the reason this is important is because 40% of young people, so Gen Z and millennial, actually search on TikTok and Instagram before they search on Google. So it's for the first time in really the history of us having the internet and search, we're finally breaking up or the monopoly that is Google search, right? So people are going other places. So you should be looking at TikTok and Instagram the same way you look at Google search. You want to be ranking in. And one of the best ways to rank is by using influencers at scale. So if you get enough micro influencers posting about your product and using certain keywords, you can actually start ranking for them. So when people search things like, you know, best shampoo for curly hair, you now rank in Google or in TikTok, just like you would in Google. And then people can, you know, have that purchase intent as well. So I think that's one of the things that I preach the most in terms of upsides with influencer marketing right now. It's kind of like Google was in the early days. Like if you can get on there and do that, you can start ranking for really important search terms, which will really help boost your brand awareness and ultimately your sales. Flip side, stuff that you see in influencer marketing that might be common, but is actually not great, not working, or just maybe personal preference you, you really don't like. Yeah, I think what I said earlier about promoting a product that isn't a great seller with influencers, I think is one way to really fail at a campaign. So that that's probably my number one piece of advice is like, pick a best-selling product that you know actually has product market fit if you want to blow it up because that's the point of influencer marketing, right? In terms of some other things that are good tips that are more on like that on the what you shouldn't do is we actually did a study between brands running with running influencer campaigns with a coupon code versus without a coupon code. And the ones without a coupon code performed much better than the ones with a coupon code. And I think that's just because it reads more like an ad when it has a coupon code. But but marketers love to want to like see that attribution and put that coupon code in there. But it immediately takes away from what TikTok and Instagram Reels and those platforms are all about, which is like authentic, genuine, you know, storytelling, edutainment, as they call it. <laughs> That's what it takes away from as soon as you put that coupon code. So my advice is to not put coupon codes in those campaigns. 
Very interesting. Marketers really do ruin everything, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> my my last question here would just bring you back to kind of your roots and what you've built over time. If you had just one piece of advice to give to a non-technical marketing entrepreneur who's just kind of getting started, what would that piece of advice be based on your experiences? Surround yourself with people at your level or above your level, and most importantly, above your level. I think that's where you learn the most from. You don't, especially in marketing, you don't learn the most from a textbook. You learn the most from other people and other marketers. And I think that is, you know, I feel like it's true in life too. You're most similar to the people around you. So really surrounding yourself with the people of, at the level that you want to be. So that would be my number one piece of advice. And I think really what helps me get to where I am today.